Welcome to The End Game, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Akshan. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. Today, we have a conversation with Andy Robin, whose new book describes an innovative approach to life after your long career. But first, a word from writer Amy L. Bernstein, and that word would be ultra-crepidarian. I learned a new word the other day, and it has really rung my bell. Ultra-crepidarian. It refers to anyone giving advice outside their area of expertise. The 19th century British writer William Hazlitt coined the word, you have been well called an ultra-crepidarian critic, Hazlitt wrote about a literary critic who, in Hazlitt's opinion, had no idea what he was talking about. The word itself comes from Old Latin, ultra-crepidam, meaning above or beyond the sole of a shoe. Hazlitt drew up an allegedly true story reported by Pliny the Elder. The story goes like this. There was once a famous Greek painter named Apelles, who would set up his pictures in a public place, then hide so he could eavesdrop on people's comments about his work. A shoemaker viewing one of Apelli's paintings criticized the painter's inaccurate rendering of a sandal. Apelli's fixed the sandal because the shoemaker knew his business, but then the shoemaker went on to criticize the painter's depiction of a leg. Well, Apelli's wasn't having it. He said the shoemaker should stick to what he knew. Pliny reported this advice as ne supra crepidam uticarate. Basically, Shoemaker, stick to your last, the last being the form on which shoes are made. Surely you know an ultra-crepidarian, or three, I know I do, thanks to social media, which empowers everyone to share opinions about everything. Ultra-crepidarianism is rampant, a veritable pandemic. Unfortunately, as we grow older, the temptation to speak out on an expanding array of topics grows stronger. For example, I'm not a lawyer, but I could well imagine advising a 22-year-old on the pros and cons of applying to law school. Why? Because I have perspective on what it takes to plan and build a career, the sacrifices, the rewards, and so forth. But just because I may have acquired a bit of wisdom as I've aged, doesn't mean there's a market for it. The truth is, I have no first-hand knowledge about entering the legal profession. I have life experience, sure, but I'm not omniscient. Now, many Native American traditions encourage young people to seek the advice of elders. Note, the burden to act is on the seeker, not the giver. These cultures aren't generally advising elders to go around saying, you know what you should do? My father, who is 90, is a champ at giving advice that nobody's asked for. He won't hesitate to tell you the kind of job to look for, how to cook a dish he's never made, even how to handle your sex life. He means well, but there's a reason we have two ears and only one mouth. When it comes to giving advice, I try to follow two rules. The first is act like a vampire. A vampire cannot enter a room unless invited. So don't give advice unless invited to do so. And second, for those times when I just can't hold back, 
Instead of blurting out, you know what you should do, I'll phrase it as a question. I wonder if you've given any thought to X. At least that way, I'm starting a conversation rather than a lecture. And hopefully, I will not be branded as an ultra-crepidarian. You can find more humor and commentary from Amy L. Bernstein at amywrites.live. I'm delighted to welcome Andy Robin to the end game today. Andy is the author of the book Tapas Life, A Rich and Rewarding Life After Your Long Career. Andy grew up in Mexico City, where his father moved the family to pursue an opportunity, and he and his father were entrepreneurs in the computer industry. Andy then held a variety of positions in the semiconductor industry for 22 years. He left the field to be a house dad until his youngest child left for college. Since then, he has been building a tapas life for himself and, of course, writing a book about it. Andy, so glad to have you with us. Thanks for including me, Don. Um, let me start by asking you to explain what you mean by a tapas life. What the heck is a tapas life? So you may be familiar with tapas, which are the uh, it's one of the food formats in Spain. Um, and it's the idea that instead of like here in the U.S. where we have a big porterhouse steak and some potatoes and it covers the plate, Instead, we get in, in tapas lots of small dishes. Tapas actually mean covers. The object of the game is you order a few of these small dishes that come in a plate about the size of a coffee saucer, and you try different things. And if you like something, you order more of them, another order. And if you don't like it, you set it aside, and you keep ordering and until you're full or is until the table is covered. So that's the idea of tapas, and the idea of a tapas life is that instead of your long career that fills you know, 40 to 60 or 70 hours a week, and uh, perhaps growing a family as well at the same time for much of that time, you can instead, after your long career, assemble a life with a variety of activities and a variety of ways of being that maybe uh, didn't seem like easy possibilities earlier. I know a number of men and women who retire, play golf every day for a few weeks, and then don't know quite what to do with themselves. But that didn't seem to happen to you. <laughs> How is that? Uh, well, the truth is, is when our youngest went to college after I had been house dad for five years. I got the kids when they were 13 and 15. My wife and I had agreed to that before we got married, and we were going to do it when they were around seven and nine. <clears throat> but she discovered a new career and went back, got a master's and PhD. <clears throat> and I was waiting for some options to vest. And so I got the kids when they were 13 and 15. And people say, well, Golly day, you know, you got the short end of that stick. You got the teenagers, but they had had all the love they could handle when they were growing up, so they were really like fun and a little bit zany friends as teenagers. How nice. As I had a really good time being at home with them. Great. D despite the 
very bizarre stuff they did sometimes. And uh, I might add, not nearly as drastic things as I did when I was a teenager. So it was all fine with me. But when our youngest went to college, I was pretty lost. I, I had no idea what to do. Uh, and I, you know, kind of poked around. I, I, after a while, had the energy to start piano lessons, something I always wanted to do. I've been taking piano lessons for 17 years, and I've gotten half decent at it. Uh, I did play some golf. I played some tennis until I injured my wrist and couldn't play piano for six months, and then I quit tennis. I did day trips around the San Francisco Bay Area where I live. I went to museums and art galleries, and that was all good. But as you say, after a while, it gets to be not enough. And so I tried different things. I tried working half-time and found that was intrusive on my newfound liberty and freedom. And I sought out other part-time careers that weren't half-time, that were big failures. Uh, and I kept uh, fiddling with it until I finally found after about four years that I had a pretty good life. And I'm walking down the street one day near my home. I ran into a friend who said, Andy, you look great. What are you up to? And I said, I'm living my tapas life. Until that moment, I did not realize that's what it was. And then I found that <clears throat> something was still missing. I needed a meaningful tapa. And uh, gradually, I found my way to life coaching and a little bit of executive coaching, mostly life coaching. Trained for about 300 hours at that. And then uh, finally found after four and a half years that I had assembled a really pretty fine life. And, you know, I've continued to fiddle with it a little bit here and there. Uh, but it's really good. And I thought I wrote the book so I could... Uh, save lots of others the work that I went through to figure it out. I have personally been preaching to our audience about the importance of having a purpose, something that animates you to get you out of bed. Um, can an assortment of tapas be as motivating as that, or is there another way to look at it? Well, you do need meaningful tapas. Otherwise, you're just a consumer of resources and a hedonist, and that's not usually enough for people. And it's useful if you have a life purpose, uh, which may be a different thing. And it doesn't have to be that you're uh, saving the universe from uh, Martians. Um <laughs> It just has to be something that works for you. So in my case, my life purpose, which I discovered and was able to articulate during my coach training, is that I'm the mischievous imp who spreads pixie dust from deep within that lights people up. So I walk around doing that all day, every day. And for whatever reason, the way I'm built, that makes me feel like a useful human and like the world would be less of a place without me. It serves as a life purpose. 
between that and my meaningful tapas of life coaching and uh, some work I do for a nonprofit foundation and being a mentor occasionally uh, to people who are seeking that and writing this book to try to be helpful to others. Yeah, that gives me a reason to get up out of bed. And the other good reason to have is you need to put some structure in your life so you're not just well, sitting in bed in your PJs uh, not wanting to get out. Well, that was my next question because, you know, I had thought that the idea of retirement was my big chance to get free of structure and all the stuff that, that held me back. And and your argument is that you have to have at least a modicum of structure. And so what did I miss? Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not as free as I thought I was going to be. <laughs> well, the fact is, is if you've got no structure at all, I mean, I suppose people are all pretty different. There may be some folks that does work for. But I assert that most folks and pretty much everybody I've spoken to in this age group uh, found that with no structure, you wind up feeling untethered, adrift, and probably a little bit depressed, wondering, well, what's the point? And so... You know, by structure, I, I don't mean that you need to put on a massive uh, iron straitjacket that uh, dictates your every picosecond. But maybe you have a structure of getting up and uh, having breakfast, uh, maybe reading some email or the news. Uh, maybe there's some time in the week when you take out the garbage. Maybe you do the laundry sometimes. Maybe you walk the dog or make sure you're feeding the pets. Maybe you have a regular book group or a regular bridge game or a regular golf foursome or tennis league or bocce league. You know, just some things like that. If you have a spouse, you might want to put a date night on your calendar or a date lunch. You might want to force yourself to have some social connection, especially if you're an introvert. You might want to put a lunch or two on the calendar with friends mm. or a walk. And pretty soon you've got a sprinkling of things on your calendar, and that, that gives your life some cadence. And when you look at your calendar, there's some reason to get out of bed. Sometime today or this week, I'm actually going to have to take a shower and put clothes on. And uh, that actually becomes important. And so that's the reason to put in structure. But you're not saying you have to fill the calendar up with every hour. Gosh, no. And, and different people need different amounts. I have a very modest amount of structure, uh, including playing classical piano about an hour and a half every day. But I don't do it at a fixed time. I do it when I feel like it, when the muse strikes me, when time's available, uh, whatever. Um, some people like more structure, and that's okay. And it, the great thing about the tapas life in this time of your life is if you find you don't have enough structure, you can add a little more. And if you find that you have too much, you can discard something. You're in control 
It's not some boss at the office telling you what it's got to be. Okay. You also talk in your book about the difference between what you call convergent and divergent thinking and how people with each of those mindsets might react differently uh, to life after the long career. Can you walk through that a little bit and explain what you meant? Well, so convergent people, convergent thinkers are folks who uh, like to make decisions. They like to gather a little bit of data about something, decide, and then do something. And divergent thinkers are folks who see lots of possibilities and opportunities everywhere and as they start to explore something, find some more things to explore and their path can diverge into bushy growth. <laughs> so convergent uh, like moves to the vertex of the angle and divergent uh, moves into bushy growth. And so you could say well, gosh, you know, uh, I mean, I can pose this different ways. If you're a convergent thinker, you may be bothered by the fact that there's maybe not a lot of big decisions to be made. And there's maybe nothing but possibilities. And you don't know where to get started to try to uh, narrow it down to something you choose. And so that can be harder. Uh, or it may be that since you've got so much freedom, you can just say, I'm going to do this. And there's nothing getting in your way. And then you go do that. If you're a divergent thinker, you may think, wow, this new newfound freedom is awesome. I can go play and explore everything everywhere all the time. Or you may find that since you don't like to make decisions, it's too much freedom. And now you're a little bit paralyzed. And the, the best thing uh, for any of those groups and any of those situations, you know, is the Nike thing. Just do it. What you really uh, have to try hard to avoid is the, oh, I don't know, maybe I won't be any good at that, or that'll be too hard, or I don't know how to get started, or what will people think of me? Those are all things that defeat this stage of life and wind up making you smaller. And instead, trying something, anything, is the thing to do. And the great thing at this time of life is, is you can fail freely. If you try it and you're lousy at it, and you didn't, or you didn't like it, or it really was too hard, well, you just toss it. It's like that tapa that you set aside in the restaurant because it didn't taste good. And it doesn't mean you can't pay your mortgage. It doesn't mean that you got demoted at your job. It doesn't mean that your spouse thinks you're a loser or your friends think you're a loser. There's kind of no cost. Instead, there's the great opportunity to mine it for learning. All right, well, let's see. I tried that. It seemed like it was going to be something cool to do. And I found out that I liked this about it, but, wow, I really didn't like this about it. And now you're a little better informed when you pick the next thing you might want to try. Wow. 
being being free from failure is a very liberating idea. Well, yeah. I mean, you've been trying not to fail since you first tried to crawl. <laughs> right. It's it really is a novel concept, and and uh, and I I I appreciate what a what a great thing that is because yes, certainly I I was very concerned about failing. I was always concerned about embarrassing myself. And and here you are telling me that well at this stage it doesn't matter. Well, that's very well, liberating. It, it uh, absolutely can be if one approaches it that way. So let's say I start assembling my my tapas, and I find one activity that I I really and it's so enjoyable that I want to do that all the time. Uh, have I just negated? I mean, that's that's not negating the whole concept. I mean, is that an okay thing to do? Of course it is. You know, we're all different people. And, uh, you know, as I note in my book, there are those who will be happy sitting on their porch watching the grass grow until they're dead. And that's good. That's the life they choose. And there are some who will find another big job and... Uh, you know, do that until they're dragged out of the office with their boots on. And that's fine, too. And if you find something you love to do to the exclusion of other things, it's a choice. Uh, the only thing I try to impress upon people is you've spent much of your life, decades, without what you might have perceived as much choice. Well, I have to go to school. My parents make me. I maybe have to go to college because otherwise I can't get a decent job. Right. I maybe have to work or I can't pay bills and raise a family. I have to, I have to, I have to. And so here we're finally at this phase of life where I don't have to. So we can choose to take ourselves back into an I, I have to position or we can finally explore the breadth and diversity of the world. As I always told the kids when they were teenagers, there are so many lives to be lived on this planet. Just look around and read about what others have done. And it's a choice. So you can choose to put yourself in one spot and stay there, or you can choose to expand and try things that you maybe never had the opportunity to. And, of course, one of the objects of the game is to not look up at 90 and say, oh, damn it, I should have tried some things. So in your personal life, Andy, has your tapas been fairly stable for a number of years, or do you still vary it up? Well, my tapas were very unstable the first uh, four years. And since about... I guess after about four and a half years of building my tapas life, of completing with the meaningful tapa of coaching, uh, my tapas have been reasonably stable. I've, I'd say 20 or 30 percent have been uh, changed out or dwindled and been replaced uh, or grown a little bit over the time to change the mix. But... It was a, it was a, 
a decent amount of work figuring it out for myself and I know myself half decently now and see how life works as no longer in a long career so I like I like the tapas on my table they're pretty tasty Don I think that your message is a very inspiring one for those of us who are trying to to wrestle with this what comes after stage and this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking time to join me on this podcast. I'm delighted to do that, Don. Thank you so much for including me. Andy Robbins' book is called Tapas Life, A Rich and Rewarding Life After Your Long Career. You can find it on Amazon.com. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The Endgame, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The Endgame.